Section 44 of Hinduism and Buddhism, an historical sketch, volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. Hinduism and Buddhism, an historical sketch volume one by charles eliot chapter thirteen chapter thirteen the canon there are extant in several languages large collections of buddhist scriptures described by some european writers as the canon the name is convenient and not incorrect but the various canons are not altogether similar and the standard for the inclusion or exclusion of particular works is not always clear we know something of four or five canons one the pali canon accepted by the buddhists of ceylon burma and siam and rendered accessible to european students by the pali text society it professes to contain the works recognized as canonical by the council of asoka and it is reasonably homogeneous that is to say although some ingenuity may be needed to harmonize the different strata of which it consists it does not include works composed by several schools two the sanskrit canon or canons a nepalese scriptures these do not correspond with any pali texts and all belong to the mahayana there appears to be no standard for fixing the canonical character of mahayanist works like the upanishads they are held to be revealed from time to time b buddhist texts discovered in central asia hitherto these have been merely fragments but the number of manuscripts found and not yet published permits the hope that longer texts may be forthcoming those already made known are partly mahayanist and partly similar to the pali canon though not a literal translation of it it is not clear to what extent the buddhists of central asia regarded the hina and mahayana scriptures as separate and distinct probably each school selected for itself a small collection of texts as authoritative three the chinese canon this is a gigantic collection of buddhist works made and revised by order of various emperors the imperial imprimatur is the only standard of canonicity the contents include translations of works belonging to all schools made from the first to the thirteenth century a d the originals were apparently all in sanskrit and were probably the text of which fragments have been found in central asia this canon also includes some original chinese works four there is a somewhat similar collection of translations into tibetan but whereas the chinese canon contains translations dated from sixty seven a d onwards the tibetan translations were made mainly in the ninth and eleventh centuries and represent the literature esteemed by the medieval buddhism of bengal part at least of this tibetan canon has been translated into mongol renderings of various books into uyghur sogdian kuchinese 
Norderish, and other languages of Central Asia have been discovered by recent explorers. It is probable that they are all derived from the Sanskrit canon and do not represent any independent tradition. The scriptures used in Japan and Korea are simply special editions of the Chinese canon, not translations. In the following pages, I propose to consider the Pali canon, postponing until later an account of the others. It will be necessary, however, to touch on the relations of Pali and Sanskrit texts. The scriptures published by the Pali Text Society represent the canon of the ancient sect called Vibhajavadins and the particular recension of it used at the monastery in Anadrapura called Mava Vahara. It is therefore not incorrect to apply to this recension such as epithets as Southern or Sinhalese, provided we remember that in its origin it was neither one nor the other, for the major part of it was certainly composed in India. It was probably introduced into Ceylon in the 3rd century BC, and it is also accepted in Burma, Siam, and Cambodia. Thus, in a considerable area, it is the sole and undisputed version of the scriptures. The canon is often known by the name of Tripataka, or Three Baskets. When an excavation was made in ancient India, it was the custom to pass up the earth in baskets along a line of workmen, and the metaphorical use of the word seems to be taken from this practice and to signify transmission by tradition. The three patakas are known as Vinaya, Sutta, and Abhidhamma. Vinaya means discipline, and the works included in this division treat chiefly of the rules to be observed by the members of the Sangha. The basis of these rules is the Patamolka, the ancient confessional formula enumerating the offenses which a monk can commit. It was read periodically to a congregation of the order and those guilty of any sin had to confess it. The text of the Patamoka is in the Vinaya, combined with a very ancient commentary called the Sutta Vibhanga. The Vinaya also contains two treatises known collectively as the Kandakas, but more frequently cited by their separate names as Mahavaga and Kulavaga. The first deals with such topics as the rules for admission to the order and observance of fast days, and in treating of each rule it describes the occasion on which the Buddha made it and to some extent follows the order of chronology. For some parts of the master's life it is almost a biography. The Kulavaga is similar in construction, but less connected in style. The Vinaya contains several important and curious narratives, and is a mine of information about the social conditions of ancient India, but much of it has the same literary value as the Book of Leviticus. Of greater general interest is the Sutta Pitaka, in which the sermons and discourses of the Buddha are collected. Sutta is equivalent to the Sanskrit word sutra, literally a thread, which signifies among the Brahmins a brief rule or aphorism, but in Pali a relatively short poem or narrative dealing with a single object. This Sutta Pitaka is divided into five collections called Nikayas. 
the first four are mainly in prose and contain discourses attributed to gautama or his disciples the fifth is mostly in verse and more miscellaneous the four collections of discourses bear the names of diga majima samyutta and angatira the first meaning long consists of thirty-four narratives they are not all sermons and are of varying character antiquity and interest the reason why they are grouped together being simply their length in some of them we may fancy that we catch an echo of gautama's own words but in others the legendary character is very marked thus the mahasamaya and atanatiya suttas are the epitomes of popular mythology tacked on to the history of the buddha but for all that they are interesting and ancient many of the suttas especially the first thirteen are rearrangements of old materials put together by a considerable literary artist who lived many generations after the buddha the account of the buddha's last days is an example of such a compilation which attains the proportions of a gospel and shows some dramatic power though it is marred by the juxtaposition of passages composed in very different styles the majahima nikaya is a collection of one hundred and fifty two discourses of moderate majahima length taken as a whole it is perhaps the most profound and impassioned of all the nikayas and also the oldest the sermons which it contains if not verbatim reports of gautama's eloquence have caught the spirit of one who urged with insistent earnestness the importance of certain difficult truths and the tremendous issues dependent on right conduct and right knowledge the remaining collections the sumyata and anguttara classify the buddha's utterances under various headings and presuppose older documents which they sometimes quote the samyutta consists of a great number of suttas mostly short combined in groups treating of a single subject which may be either a person or a topic the anguttara which is a still longer collection is arranged in numerical groups a method of classification dear to the hindus who delight in such computations as the four meditations the eightfold path the ten fetters it takes such religious topics as can be counted this way and arranges them under the numbers from one to eleven thus under three it treats of thought word and deed and the applications of this division to morality of the three messengers of the gods old age sickness and death of the three great evils lust ill-will and stupidity and so on the fifth or kudaka nikaya is perhaps the portion of the pali scriptures which has found most favor with europeans for the treatises composing it are short and some of them of remarkable beauty they are in great part composed of verses sometimes disconnected couplets sometimes short poems the stanzas are only imperfectly intelligible without an explanation of the occasion to which they refer this is generally forthcoming but is sometimes a part of the accepted text and sometimes regarded as merely a commentary to this division of the pitaka belong the dhammapada a justly celebrated anthology of devotional verses and the sutta nupata 
a very ancient collection of suttas, chiefly in meter. Other important works included in it are the Tira and the Tiragatha, or poems written by monks and nuns respectively, and the Jataka, or stories about the Buddha's previous births. Some of the rather miscellaneous contents of this Nikaya are late and do not belong to the same epoch of thought as the discourses attributed to Gotama. Such are the Buddha Vamsa, or Lives of Gotama, and his twenty-four predecessors, the Kariya Pataka, a selection of Jataka stories about Gotama's previous births, and the Vimana and Petta Vathas, accounts of celestial mansions and of the distressful existence led by those who are condemned to be ghosts though some of the works comprised in this nikaya for example the sutanapata are very ancient the collection as it stands is late and probably known only to the southern church the contents of it are not quite the same in ceylon burma and siam and only a small portion of them has been identified in the Chinese Tripitaka. Nevertheless, the word Panyasa one who knows the five Nikayas, is found in the inscriptions of Sanchi, and five Nikayas are mentioned in the last books of the Kulavaga. Thus a fifth Nikaya of some kind must have been known fairly early. The third Pitaka is known by the name Abhidhamma, Dhamma is the usual designation for the doctrine of the Buddha and the Buddhaghosa, explains the prefix abhi as signifying excess and distinction, so that this pitaka is considered preeminent because it surpasses the others. This preeminence consists solely in method and scope, not a novelty of matter or charm of diction. The point of view of the Abhidhamma is certainly later than that of the Sutta Pitaka, and in some ways marks an advance, for instead of professing to report the discourses of Gotama, it takes the various topics on which he touched, especially the psychological ethics, and treats them in a connected and systematic manner. The style shows some semblance to Sanskrit sutras, for it is so technical, both in vocabulary and arrangement, that it can hardly be understood without a commentary. According to tradition, the Buddha recited the Abhidhamma when he went to heaven to preach to the gods, and this seems a polite way of hinting that it was more than any human congregation could tolerate or understand. Still, throughout the long history of Buddhism, it has always been respected as the most profound portion of the scriptures, and has not failed to find students. This pitaka includes the Katha Vathu, attributed to Tisa Magraputta, who is said to have composed it about 250 B.C. in Asoka's reign. 3. Lines of growth are clearly discernible in the Vinaya and Sutta Pitakas. As already mentioned, the Kudaka Nikaya is, as a collection, later than the others, although separate books of it, such as the Sutta Nipata, especially the fourth and fifth books, are among the earliest documents which we possess. But other books, such as the Peta and the Vimana Vatu, show a distinct difference in tone, and are probably separated from the Buddha by several centuries. Of the other four Nikayas, the Samyutta and Anguttara, are the more modern, and the Anguttara mentions Munda, K. 
king of Magadha, who began to reign about forty years after the Buddha's death. But even in the two older collections, the Diga and the Majima, we have not reached the lowest stratum. The first thirteen sutantas of the Diga all contain a very ancient tractate on morality, and the Samanaphala and following sections of the Diga, and also some suttas of the Majima, contain either in whole or in part a treatise on progress in the holy life. These treatises were probably current as separate portions for recitation before the suttas in which they are now set were composed. Similarly, the Vinaya clearly presupposes an old code in the form of a list of offenses called the Pakatimolka. The Mahavaga contains a portion of an ancient word-for-word -word explanation of this code, and most of the Sutta Vibhanga is an amplification and exposition of it. The Padimokha was already in existence when these books were composed, for we hear that if in a company of Bakus, the Padimokha, one of the younger brethren, should be sent to some better instructed monastery to learn it. And further we hear that a learned Bhikkhu was expected to know not merely the precepts of the Padimokha, but also the occasion when each was formulated. The place, the circumstances, and the people concerned had been in each case handed down. There is here all the material for a narrative. The reciter of a sutta simply adopts the style of a village storyteller. Thus have I heard, once upon a time the Lord was dwelling at Rijaga, or wherever it was, and such and such a people came to see him and then after a more or less dramatic introduction comes the lord's discourse and at the end an epilogue saying how the hearers were edified and if previously unconverted took refuge in the true doctrine the kulavaga states that the vinaya but not the other pitakas was recited and verified at the council of Vesalai. as i have mentioned elsewhere sinhalese and chinese accounts speak of another council, the Masanga or the Masangiti. Though its date is uncertain, there is a consensus of tradition to the effect that it recognized a canon of its own, different from our Pali canon, and containing a larger amount of popular matter. Sinhalese tradition states that the canon, as we now have it, was fixed at the third council held at Padalaputra in the reign of Asoka, about 272 to 232 B.C. The most precise statements about this council are those of the Buddhaghosa, who says that an assembly of monks who knew the three Patakas by heart recited the Vinaya and the Dhamma. But the most important and interesting evidence as to the existence of Buddhist scriptures in the 3rd century B.C. is afforded by the Babru, or Babra, Edict of Osaka. He recommends the clergy to study seven passages, of which nearly all can be identified in our present edition of the Patakas. This edict does not prove that Asoka had before him in the form which we know the Diga, and other works cited. But the most cautious logic must admit that there was a collection of the Buddha's sayings to which he could appeal 
and that if most of his references to this collection can be identified in our Pritakas, then the major part of these Pritakas is probably identical in substance, not necessarily verbally, with the collection of sayings known to Asoka. Neither Asoka nor the author of the Kathavatu cites books by name. The latter, for instance, quotes the well-known lines Anubina Madavi, not as coming from the Dhammapada, but as spoken by the Lord. But the author of The Questions of Melinda, who knew the canonical books by the names they bear now, also often adopts a similar method of citation. Although this author's probable date is not earlier than our era, his evidence is important. He mentions all five Nikayas by name, the titles of many suttas, and also the Vibhanga, Datakatha, Bugala Panati, Kathavathu, Yamaka, and Pathanya. Everything indicates and nothing discredits the conclusion that this canon of the Vibhajadins was substantially fixed in the time of Asoka, so far as the Vinaya and Sutta Patakas are concerned. Some works of minor importance may have had an uncertain position, and subsequent revisions may have been made, but the principal scriptures were already recognized, and contained passages which occur in our versions. On the other hand, this recension of the scriptures was not the only one in existence. If the patronage of Asoka gave it a special prestige in his lifetime, it may have lost it in India after his death, and for many centuries the Buddhist canon, like the list of the Upanishads, must have been susceptible of alteration. The Sarvastivadins compiled an Abhidhamma Pitaka of their own, apparently in the time of Kanishka, and the Dharmagupta school also seems to have had its own version of the Pitaka. The date of the Pali Abhidhamma is very doubtful, and I do not reject the hypothesis that it was composed in Ceylon, for the Sinhalese seem to have a special taste for such literature. But there is no proof of this Sinhalese origin. According to Sinhalese tradition, all three Patakas were introduced into Ceylon by Mahinda in the reign of Asoka, but only as oral tradition and not in a written form. They received this latter about 20 BC as the result of a dispute between two monasteries. The controversy is very obscure, but it appears that the ancient foundation called Mahivara accepted as a canonical the fifth book of the Vinaya, called Piravira, whereas it was rejected by the new monastery called Abhyajira. The Sinhalese chronicle, Mahavasma, says somewhat abruptly, the wise monks had hitherto handed down the text of the three Patakas, Pataka Yapalim, as well as the commentary by word of mouth. But seeing that mankind was becoming lost, they assembled together and wrote them in books in order that the faith might long endure. This brief account seems to mean that a council was held not by the whole clergy of Ceylon, but by the monks of the Mahivara at which they committed to writing their own version of the canon included in the Parivara. This book forms an appendix to the Vinaya Pataka, and in some verses printed at the conclusion is said to be the work of one Deepa. It is generally accepted as a relatively late production, composed in Ceylon.
if such a work was included in the canon of the Mahivira, we must admit the possibility that other portions of it may be Sinhalese and not Indian. But still the onus probandi lies with those who maintain the Sinhalese origin of any part of the Pali canon, and two strong arguments support the Indian origin of the major part. First, many suttas not only show an intimate knowledge of ancient Indian customs, but discuss topics such as caste, sacrifice, ancient heresies, and the value of the Veda, which would be of no interest to the Sinhalese. Secondly, there is no Sinhalese local color, and no Sinhalese legends have been introduced. Contrast with this the Dipa and Mahavamsa, both of which open with accounts of mythical visits paid by the Buddha to Ceylon. In Ceylon, versions of the scriptures other than that of the Mahivira were current until the 12th century, when uniformity was enforced by Parakama Bahu. Some of these, for instance the Pataka of the Vedaliyakas, were decidedly heretical, according to the standard of local orthodoxy but others probably presented variations of reading and arrangement, rather than of doctrine. Anasaki has compared with the perceived Pali text a portion of the Samyaktagama, translated by the Gundabra, into Chinese. He thinks that the original was the text used by the Abiyagiri Monastery, and brought to China by Fai Xian. The Sinhalese Ecclesiastical History, Nikaya Sangara relates that 235 years after the Buddha's death, nine heretical fraternities were formed, who proceeded to compose scriptures of their own, such as the Varana Pitaka and Angulyama Pitaka. Though this treatise is late, circa 1400 AD, its statements merit attention as showing that even an orthodox Ceylon tradition regarded the authorized Pitaka as one of the several versions but many of the works mentioned sound like late tantric texts rather than compositions of the early heretics to whom they are attributed. Ecclesiastical opinion in Ceylon after centuries of discussion ended by accepting the addition of the Mahivira as the best, and we have no grounds for rejecting or suspecting this opinion. According to tradition, Buddhaghosa was well versed in Sanskrit, but deliberately preferred the southern canon. The Mahayanist Dr. Asanga cites texts found in the Pali version, but not in the Sanskrit. The monks of the Mahavihara were probably too indulgent in admitting late scholastic treatises, such as the Parivara. On the other hand, they often showed a critical instinct in rejecting legendary matter. Thus, the Sanskrit Vinayas contained many more miraculous narratives than the Pali Vinaya. End of section 44. Recording by Lawrence Trask. Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com.